0: My eyes are open, and usually I get the sense that something in the room is happening. Something's going to go off, and then a shape gathers. A black cloud gathers, and it's the devil, a monster. And it comes on to me, and I can feel its weight, and it's holding me, and that it's going to drag me down into an abyss. I can feel sensations on my body. It's multi-sensory. I can smell it. I feel sensations in my body like in a lift. I feel like I'm going down. I can't move, certainly. I try, but it never works. Usually all I can do is make a kind of hum in my throat and try to make a feedback cycle. Make that louder. And as it gets louder, the more awake I get, the more I can do until I can eventually perhaps shout. And that wakes me up properly. Wakes me up. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influence the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode, Sleep Paralysis. What is this enigmatic phenomenon? And what is happening to us when it happens? Does it really explain away 4,000 years of terrifying nighttime experiences? If it is the culprit, does the explanation stop there? Or is there possibly more to this frightening feeling of frozen helplessness? This time on Conspiracy Theorology, we will open our sleepless eyes, fight back the cloud of terror, and peel back the layers on this perplexing, paralyzing predicament known as Sleep Paralysis. Body, including my face, was under the covers and unable to move. I couldn't see a thing. I worried for a brief moment when I discovered I couldn't move at all. Then things got scarier. I felt an enormous amount of pressure on my chest. I had the feeling as though this spirit, or whatever it was, had its face only inches away from my own. If this wasn't enough, I heard inaudible whispers in both ears and pounding on the wall adjacent to the bed. I began to cry because that's all I could physically do, and in my mind, I was screaming as loud as I could, but nothing came out. I began to struggle, but I finally burst awake, sat up immediately, still crying. The room was silent. Hi, theoriologists. Let's talk sleep paralysis, the old hag syndrome. Why talk about it? Why sleep paralysis? I mean, isn't it usually just an explanation in itself for strange phenomenon? Yeah, but I think it's commonly misunderstood. It's not a definitive answer to all nighttime visions and experiences. Blaming sleep paralysis ad hoc is simply blaming a physiological function as a means of dismissing strange experiences. Yet, it's become the go-to explanation. And we're eager to accept it as the reason for any sort of frightening tales of experience that remotely include aspects associated with this really poorly understood physical response. These experiences run the gamut. Sleep paralysis is now the primary accepted explanation for the nighttime visitations from demons, witches, ghosts and shadow people, alien visitations, even abductions, even spiritual and out of body experiences. So, again, we're left with a phenomenon that would come up again and again in topics of the paranormal and supernatural that we might cover on the show. But in itself, it's really just as mysterious. It's just as fascinating, which means there's probably some theoryology behind it. So, let's try to understand sleep paralysis better. But what is it exactly? I mean, can we define sleep paralysis? All right, let's tackle that. Imagine this. You stumble into consciousness from a foggy dream, staring at the back of your eyelids. a A sliver of light is peeking through the legs of your eyelashes. Your eyes rattle with resistance as you try to pry them open. You can't move, and your chest is sinking, almost crushing under a thick pressure. You sense a malevolent shadow looming in your periphery, right, just, just almost out of eyeshot, watching, approaching. You try to scream, but barely, barely a whimper escapes. Well, that's sleep paralysis. At least, it's what we think of when we hear the term. A phenomenon where a person awakens from sleep to find that they're unable to move or speak. You know, it often occurs during that transition from REM sleep. It's this paradoxical sleep stage where vivid dreams are coupled with complete (laughs) muscle paralysis, which is to inhibit the body from acting out during our dreams. During sleep paralysis, the mind awakens from REM sleep before the body paralysis has a chance to subside. This creates a terrifying experience, awakening in the darkness, helpless and paralyzed, and you can't scream or fully open your eyes. In essence, during sleep paralysis, the mind is still clouded from the sensory spill of the dream world, which may cause a person to perceive hallucinations. Sufferers describe certain peculiar yet consistent experience. The sense of a threatening presence. Feelings of suffocation and pressure on the chest. Researchers call this experience felt presence. Though cultures throughout history have identified their own culprits. And that's a good time to look back at really how far this goes. I mentioned four millennia. Well, in many cultures, these nighttime terrors are associated with demons. Of some form or another, anyway, and, and date back as far as 2400 B.C. in Mesopotamia. These demons are in the forms of succubus or incubus, lying atop their victims while strangling them, crushing their chest. Another popular incarnation of this uh, evil visitor is that old hag which originated in Newfoundland. It's so prominent that we often use the moniker of the old hag syndrome for this experience. Now, for those with a less defined identity of the evil visitor, uh, immobility and panic grip the victim as a shadowy or ghostly figure approaches them slowly. Sometimes this ambiguous entity even eventually takes the more defined and well-formed shape, uh, such as uh, of the demon, right, or of the hag. Now, as extraterrestrial alien visitors moved into the zeitgeist of predominantly the the West, many of these nighttime stories of paralysis uh, were accompanied by alien forms and abduction. You know, the sense that after being lifted up without agency and experiencing a sense of levitation. Of course, accounts like these don't represent all experiences. I mean, certainly not every abduction story takes place at night, right, or involves paralysis. And there's plenty of ghostly and supernatural phenomenon that occurs outside of the parameters associated with sleep paralysis. Still, stories like these have have come down through the centuries... And have been experienced and told over and over. So there's something to this this idea of commonality and consistency. But let's discuss when it even occurs. I pulled some of this information from a site called nosleeplessnights.com. Well, it can occur. Really, there's two different stages that sleep paralysis could occur. One, right when falling asleep. And that's known as hypnagogic sleep paralysis. The second is when you're waking up, when you've been in, in a deep sleep, right? And that's when REM has been kicking in. And really, it seems to be occurring just when REM is coming, you're coming out of that, that rapid eye movement sleep. And that is known as the hypnopompic sleep paralysis. Now, I I don't really see any need to break those down uh, and, and piece them together, we're going to get into all of the aspects of sleep paralysis. That's just terminology separating the two different points at which it regularly occurs. I mean, ultimately, essentially, it's it's an out-of-sync experience between your brain and your body. But, what about the physical sensations, you may ask? (laughs) During REM, that Muscle paralysis, it can cause your breathing to become shallow. Trying to take a deep breath, you can't. And, in theory, you interpret it as a feeling of being strangled or a weight on your chest. That crazy old hag at it again. But what about the visions? What about hearing things? Just because you have a physical sense of constriction on your breathing shouldn't cause you to see things or, or hear strange noises, right? Bumps in the night. Well, sleep paralysis is that period of transient, consciously experienced paralysis, either when going to sleep or waking up, just like we talked about. During an episode, this the, an individual is, is really fully conscious, able to open their eyes, but aware that it's not possible to move. They can't move their arms, they can't move their head, they can't move the core, the trunk of their body. And, you know, there's this perception of of breathing difficulties, respiratory constriction, and and understandably acute anxiety. Well, in addition to this, the individual can experience hallucinations. Now, I found that there was a sample of 200 plus college students who had experienced some form of sleep paralysis at least once. In this study, 75% percent had concurrently experienced body paralysis and hallucinations. Commonly experienced hallucinations included, and let's throw out some terms here, proprioceptive hallucinations, sensations of floating, flying, out-of-body experiences, feelings of being lifted up, of spinning and turning, and sensations similar to those felt when going up and down a lift, an elevator. Then there's those tactile hallucinations, that sensation of pressure, touching, pulling on the chest, limbs, or head being pressed on, pressure on the bed, feelings like your, your clothes are moving, and feelings of tingling, vibrating, shaking, smothering even, and choking. There's the auditory hallucinations, that hearing of footsteps, that knocking on the wall, shuffling, breathing, talking indecipherable whispering and even mechanical sounds like metal scraping or or clicking or something turning you know humming and other noises finally there's those visual hallucinations right like seeing a wisp of cloud or smoke-like substances or areas of of shadow of intense darkness seeing a human form an animal or a monster even the possibility of interacting with them. Uh, There are those olfactory hallucinations, too. But that's, you know, and that's a little strange. That's, I mean, that's the idea of of smelling something. Um, Perhaps a a perfume, the smell of smoke, the smell of something else, pungent. So, you know, great. We know what's happening, right? But why does it happen? I mean, just because we can define it, doesn't explain why it even happens in the first place. How do we get into that? Well, let's look at some possible causes. First and foremost, to emphasize, it doesn't happen to all people, at least not regularly. And and scientists are, aren't are completely sure of the cause. I mean, they're pretty sure it does seem to be related to sleep disruption. Uh, disruption. You know, it can be tied to other things that are going on. You know, factors that are pretty common when surveying, uh, ex, uh, experiencers, uh, issues like stress, anxiety, trauma, past trauma or, or current trauma, sleep problems, uh, narcolepsy. You know, that's a, that's a going to be a common one and that's going to come up, substance abuse, uh, sleep disorders like narcolepsy and, and nightmares, common nightmares, and even illness. And of course, there's that assumption that if if experiences can be dismissed and explained by sleep paralysis that the paralysis experience can be shaped um, by paranormal supernatural and spiritual beliefs, you know not actual events but these beliefs that these things can occur. those are so sort of the key drivers that are used to explain away uh the the events and in favor of of uh, sleep paralysis great right so you know you're thinking to yourself i'm stressed you know maybe i'm sick i've had some some traumatic experiences in the past so am i going to experience sleep paralysis uh fortunately chances are pretty good that you're not going to uh while upwards of 60 percent could experience this like once in their lives it it goes way down uh less than 6% of the population without a sleep disorder might regularly experience this frightening event. Now, the bad news is that that chance goes way up for those suffering from disorders specifically like narcolepsy. Uh, You already have problems with your sleep patterns and your sleep rhythms, and that's just going to open the door for at least some aspects of this occurring, whether it's the just the physical aspects of the paralysis and uh, the the early waking and possibly then in conjunction with the hallucinations so we've pretty much covered it all we've covered the history the basis the background what it is when it can happen the possibility of it happening but what's the theoryology right what's the driver for our fascination why do we accept this as as a consideration for explanation After 4,000 years of finding other reasons, other explanations for this, let's dive into some neuroscience. The neuroscience of sleep paralysis. See, during REM, that rapid eye movement process, a part of the front of the brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is central to our ability to plan and think logically, (laughs) It turns off. It switches off. And this explains why our dreams during REM seem so real. Why the fabric of reality appears so I don't know, out of control with warped landscapes and abruptly changing times, places, and people. Right? That, that Hollywood blockbuster of inception that captures the surreal flavor of dreams. REM also it's also that stage that most resembles wakefulness our blood pressure apparently goes up heartbeat and breathing quicken even the brain waves speed up in fact they've hooked people up and monitored brain waves and they become virtually indistinguishable from wakefulness so you have a very active mind during during that rem sleep during that dream state sometimes however we actually do wake up while still in REM sleep. In a sense, we have a switch in the brain that tilts us between REM and wakefulness, and all it takes is a few wild neurochemicals to leave us stuck in this borderline state between parallel realities, quote-unquote sleep and wakefulness. But what about that out-of-body experience aspect to this? Well... Apparently, those can even be produced pretty reliably in a lab. We simply disrupt the activity of the brain, that region of the brain called the tempo-parietal junction. This region actually helps us build a body image in the uh, parietal lobes, which is the top-middle part of the brain. Or uh, it's a type of neural representation of the self, right? this body image. It's based on the inputs it receives from the senses. The tempo parietal junction, which is also critical for our ability to distinguish between self and other, is normally turned off during REM sleep. And this is why there is a uh, this uh, loosening of the sense of self when we dream, right? We can we can see ourselves from a third-person perspective, and other times it, it, it occupies an Uh, another person's body entirely right another being what about the shadow creatures okay moving through these aspects these these abductions these assaults this sense of presence of of intrusion you know how where all do these things come from can neuroscience explain it well there is this idea that there might be a a hardwired template or a map of a person's body surface in the right parietal lobe of the brain. So when, in effect, a person is born with no arm and they're experiencing a phantom arm, this person is really feeling the presence of the arm that is part of his internal body map. This this map would be connected to emotional and visual centers in the brain, causing us to be attracted to body shapes similar to our own. Right? That's why we're attracted to other people, people that look like us. It's why we're attracted to socialize with other human. But, <laughs> a disturbance in the processing of self and other, that differentiation at the temporoparietal junction, results in a hallucinated projection of one's own body map. I think you can see where this is going. The mind literally casts a shadow just like the body does. As the barrier between self and the other dissolves, the person, in effect, mistakes his own shadow, this body template, this image, for a separate entity. Moreover, our brain regards it as highly improbable that chest pressure, sensations of suffocation, rapid breathing, and which are all caused by this REM's physiology... And and on top of everything, seeing a human-like shadow occurs by random chance. You, you know, the idea that all of those things happen together by chance, accidentally, coincidentally. When REM dreaming becomes activated as well, and that shadowy figure can take on all kinds of sophisticated shapes and dimensions, well, the entire plot thickens. At this point, memory and the narrative abilities of other brain regions play a role in the evolving hallucination so you can see i mean neuroscience has attempted to address it all explain it all we're a neurochemical soup of events that can happen and when everything happens in just the right order you're left with a terrifying experience of immobility and of severely frightening shapes approaching you physical experiences that are equivalent to assault terrifying right even though science can give this explanation it, it doesn't really it doesn't go all the way in explaining why it fascinates us right why we're so readily able to accept sleep paralysis as the explanation for all these other events you know, before we go and tackle them in future shows, uh, we've already dived into alien abduction some, but there's so much left to explore that a lot of people are going to come along and saying that's <laughs> sleep paralysis, done, explanation given. Why does that fascinate us? Why is that so acceptable of, a, of an explanation, of a reason? Well, let's look at a few areas, right? Okay, we're going to be tackling this one this explanatory gap and that concept two the idea that we love reductive explanation, and three the seductive allure of neuroscience explanations so one two three let's let's walk through those the explanatory gap right number one it's defined as this difficulty that physical And physicalist theories have in explaining how physical properties give rise to the way things feel when they're experienced. It's a term that was introduced by a philosopher named uh, Joseph Levin. And in a 1983 paper, when he first introduces the term, he used an example in this sentence. Pain is the firing of C-fibers, pointing out that while it might be valid in a physiological sense... It doesn't help us to understand how pain feels as it relates to sleep paralysis. I mean, it translates to while we can understand that there are physical and chemical processes occurring that we define as sleep paralysis and that those things happen concurrently with REM activity overlapping a a waking state and uh, producing a hallucinogenic state it It doesn't help us to understand why the experience of sleep paralysis feels the way it does, why it induces terror or why it materializes as these common entities and identities of monsters, demons, ghosts, and aliens. Giving a physiological explanation does not fill in the gap between the body and the mind, the physical and the experience. And that leads us to number two, reductionism. We love reductive explanations. But what does that mean? Reductionism is any of several related philosophical ideas regarding the associations between phenomena, which can be described in terms of other simpler or more fundamental phenomena. Like I said, we love some reductive explanations. We like the idea of stripping otherwise confusing and complicated, somewhat disparate experiences down to fundamental core pieces, phenomena, qualia, i.e., the body is paralyzed to prevent movement during REM. Dreams overlay onto waking reality. Everything is a neurochemical event. This, of course, doesn't answer the gap... But we like it, even if it leaves the gap, because those things are down to the basic elements, basic explanations. And finally, number three, we love fancy scientific explanation, especially when discussing the brain. Neuroscience research, even when fictitious, seems to produce a more favorable response and acceptance of the explanation. This was a concept proposed and described in a 2008 paper titled The Seductive Allure of Neuroscience Explanations. And while the focus of the paper was neuroscience versus psychology and psychological explanation, other fields of scientific study could have similar effects. In essence, we can be blinded by science. All these things and everything we've discussed, I mean, it explains how sleep paralysis may happen what could be going on, and why it it might explain most paranormal experience. And honestly, it's all a big maybe. But, why does it fascinate us? Have we really answered that question? Have we found the theoryology? Why are we willing and even eager to accept this as an explanation? Well, we are because of our desire for prediction and control. Our sense of agency. See, this... This agency is, is the sense of controlling one's own body, a sense of ownership. We desire agency. It goes hand-in-hand hand with our sense of self and identity. All experiences that fall within this realm of paralysis and, and attack are extremely traumatic and, and remove that agency, that control, the idea that we have no agency or ownership over What's happening to our bodies? I mean, it raises red flags all over the place in our minds and obviously has for centuries and centuries. The idea of sleep paralysis as a definitive explanation gives us that reductive explanation and it fills that gap insofar as as we need for this control. It lets physiology and psychology explain away and otherwise terrifying possibility it gives us our control and our agency if the experience is entirely physical then we can address it with steps and a plan of attack like your leg falling asleep right (laughs) we've all done this when your leg falls asleep when you're sitting wrong for a long time yes it's debilitating it's annoying but it's not scary it's just just a little tingly just to drive the point home, let's let's hear another story. I feel I'm awake, but I, I feel groggy and so incredibly tired. It's hard to move. Then I realize that actually I can't move. Simultaneously, I'm also acutely aware that I am in imminent physical danger. I can see a shadow in the room at the foot of my bed. It's a man with a very large knife. I know I must move away to save my life, but I can't move. I hold my breath. As I cannot move, instead I try intensely to be as still as possible. I'll let my heart slow down. For fear, he can even hear that inside my chest. He wouldn't try to stab me if I'm already dead, right? I stay this way, hardly breathing and drifting between awake and asleep and again. Eventually, this male shadow is gone, and I finally feel I can let go and drift back safely into sleep. When I do wake up, I'm almost always on my side, not on my back at all. Sleep paralysis, as an explanation, fills in all sorts of gaps in our understanding of fear-inducing nighttime experiences, that have been occurring for centuries. It's easier to dismiss away than the the paranormal, the supernatural, and the otherworldly, than to contemplate the possibility that something could be out there with the power to take away our control. There is honestly already enough of that in the world anyway, and we, and we didn't even get into the illusion of agency as a discussion. Still, even if sleep paralysis is the answer for most, it's not the catch-all for everything. It's a very specific, defined set of experiences that all have to happen together, with a specific set of physical symptoms that can be identified. Even if it may be the answer, it's not necessarily the explanation. Just because it sounds good to toss in some big neuroscience terminology doesn't make it any more valid if it's just gobbledygook. Don't let yourself be blinded by that seductive allure. Remember... The brain is a complicated and mysterious thing. Even if all this is happening in your mind, (laughs) it doesn't mean it's not happening. Okay, that is all for today. Thanks for joining me. Please click that follow and subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email, contact at com. Join the Facebook discussion group. Find me on Twitter at Pod or just recommend the show to others. Now, as always, all the info can be found at the website theoryology.com, including how to support the podcast on Patreon and I assure you, we are working on an uh, enjoyable p- uh, Patreon campaign that's going to be full of content and plenty of perks to give you reason to jump over there and take a look. Music is by adam henry garcia and if you'd like to hear more visit adam henry garcia.bandcamp.com now i'll see you again next time when we will tackle another theory and make sense of the public popularity so until then remember beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology